Well, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about relation slips. We've talked about the importance of developing godly parenting skills. We've talked about the importance of marriage. But not everyone is a parent. Not everyone is married. Many among us are single. In a survey of kids on the question, how do you know the right person to marry, 10-year-old Alan responded, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> I think Alan is going to be single for a long time. <laughs> now some of you are thinking already this morning, well, why talk about this small segment of Americans? Ah, that's just it. Single people are not a small segment of America. Last year, for the first time, the number of unmarried American adults outnumbered those who are married. One in seven people lives completely alone in America. About 31 million people in that state, compared to 4 million back in 1950. And the number of American adults who have never been married is at an historic high of 20%. According to the Pew Research Center, only 30% of millennials say that having a successful marriage is one of the most important things in life. 30%. That was down by a whopping 17% from what the Generation Xers said in 1997. They said 47% said it wasn't an important part of their life. And four in 10 Americans went even farther, telling Pew researchers that marriage was becoming obsolete. You can see that those who are single are an important part of our culture. After all, we've all been single, and probably some of us will be single again somewhere in the future, even if it is just surviving the death of a spouse. However, I cannot really do a good job of speaking to this from an experiential standpoint of view. I got married at the age of 22. Elsie and I have been married for, for 39 years. It's been a long time since I was single. Uh, uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. But from that standpoint, I can't speak to the issue clear. So I wanted some of our singles to speak into it. So if you'll take a look at this video this morning, it'll give you an insight that I can't give you and maybe you can't relate to either. Watch and listen. In my life, I mean, I'm 24, you know, graduated college a couple years ago. I think singleness has been, <laughs> for me, not necessarily a choice, but sort of a circumstantial thing. You know, when, sort of that, that mantra of when the time is right, it's gonna happen. And I just, like, what does that mean? You know, it, it's sort of a meaningless phrase of like, what does it mean for the time to be right? You know, like what has to be perfect in my life? What has to be perfect with me? You know, cause that's another thing that gets said a lot is, well, you know, maybe you and your relationship with God needs to, get better, get to a certain point of, of intimacy and closeness, and then, you know, you'll be able to share yourself with another person. And it's like, what does that mean? I, I don't know. And, and so kind of dealing with that, um, of sort of the thoughts that come along with that of, well, what's wrong with me? That I, this hasn't happened yet. I, I was single until the age of 30. Um, I met my husband, we got married, and we were married about four and a half years before he um, suddenly passed away. 
So I've experienced singleness a second time around and um, have, have been in that position for about 13 and a half years now. Becoming single again after being married was, it was a rough transition to figure out where I belonged and what, what my role in, within the church family was. And you know, all my friends were married people, raising up kids, doing what Rex and I had expected to do in our own lives. And um, it, it just took me a while to get comfortable in singleness again and knowing that I was enough by myself to still contribute to the church and to a lot of ministries and um, to enjoy those friendships again without feeling the, the grief part of it. I don't really think about it too much. I don't think about, oh, I'm single. Oh, you know, ha it doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me sad. It's just, it's just how it is. It, it, there's, there's, no, there's no big mystery to it. It's, it's, uh, it is what it is. For me, I was able to kind of focus on my career and I found joy in that. So I never have felt empty um, in light of maybe not being married because there's other places and other things where I find joy. And then also, some people are called to marriage very early in their life. I wasn't called to marriage in my 20s or 30s, and I'm okay with that. I adopted a little boy three years ago, and he pretty much consumes my attention, my, my focus, my emphasis in terms of um, my family life. Honestly, right now, my identity a great deal is in being a mom and learning how to be a mom and figuring out that whole process. Some of my friends that have kids, it's fun to have them around because uh, it's, it's kind of like having nieces and nephews. And it, it's, it's the best of both worlds because you get to, get to hang out with kids uh, but then, and then they leave. So you get the good and you don't get the bad because I know they can be little monsters sometimes. My advice to someone who's struggling with singleness is I get it. <laughs> I struggle too, we all struggle with it. Um, for me, I don't wanna speak as if I'm defining everyone's experience of singleness, but again, for me, it's that struggle with, am I not good enough? And at the end of the day, we have to be able to hear God speak through that because it's just its just not true. Just gotta find what, what your gifts and passions are and, and let God use you, I mean, God, God didn't make us incomplete people. Um, single people have so much to offer. We're, there's just no reason um, to not be able to find within yourself all the, all the wonderful gifts and talents that God has uh, put within you. So many of our single folks are just so actively involved in the life of the church, and I appreciate these four being able to be vulnerable with us uh, in that video this morning. Singleness happens for a lot of different reasons. There, there are a rare few that, and, and I don't particularly like this term, but I can't think of anything better, that are single by creation. I, I believe John the Baptist fits in that mold. I think God created him to be comfortable with the single life for a specific purpose and a specific role. The vast majority of single adults are those who are single by circumstance. They haven't found the right person to marry, they're divorced, they are widowed, or they've been abandoned by a spouse. It's circumstances. And there are single adults who are single by choice. I believe the apostle Paul was one of those. Paul says, I've got the right to take a wife just like Peter and the rest of the apostles. But he chose not to for a variety of reasons. Freedom in ministry, one. Hardship during persecution uh, would, would be another one. 
And so he writes to the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is what Paul says. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says you don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. Just know that there are advantages both ways. And of course, Jesus was single. Now, sometimes people say, well, yes, but he was divine. He didn't have the concerns or the fears or the temptations that we face. Well, he was divine. That's, that's true. But I don't believe that he was absent of those other temptations. The Bible is pretty clear that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are tempted. So I think he had the feelings and the concerns and the temptations that come along with this relationship, relational challenge that we face throughout our lives. Now, if you'll let me, let's go back for just a moment to single by circumstance. I am frequently asked by people about what the Bible says regarding divorce. Last week we talked about marriage. I want, to, I want to address this for just a few moments this morning. Let me give you a quick overview. There are two biblical reasons for divorce. Unfaithfulness on the part of one's spouse is the first. The word is actually sexual immorality. Now, if you have a, if you have a spouse that has an adulterous affair... And, and helps bring destruction to your marriage, you are not required to divorce that spouse. You are allowed to divorce that spouse because uh, of what it has done to the marriage. And you say, well, why does God care? Well, God cares because adultery strikes at the very heart of the marriage bond. The design of sexual intimacy is the unity of a man and woman in marriage. Sex by its very nature unites. So, when a husband engages in sexual intimacy with a third party, he creates a new union and destroys the integrity of the union that he first built with his wife. The second reason for divorce, according to the scriptures, is abandonment by one who is not a believer. If you're married to a non-believer, a non-Christian, and that person says, listen, I've had it up to here with your Christianity. I want out of this relationship. You, you can't give up your faith. And so they leave the marriage. It breaks down and you are once again free. Jesus, by the way, was asked about marriage on more than one occasion. In Matthew chapter 19, this is the scenario we find. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus is saying divorce was not a part of God's original plan. 
As a matter of fact, the prophet Malachi in chapter 2, verse 16 says, God hates divorce. Now listen carefully. It doesn't say God hates those who are divorced. It says God hates divorce because of what it does to those who are in the family and the marriage. And by the way, divorce is not the only deviation from God's original plan. Polygamy was never a part of God's plan either, but we find it happening in the Old Testament quite frequently. You've got to understand this. Just because God has a plan doesn't mean that he's going to intervene every time and stop somebody who doesn't live out the plan. He gave us choices. And we live out our choices. And sometimes it breaks the heart of God. But he doesn't stop us from making choices. Can I tell you why God doesn't like the alternative plans to his original one? It's because any alternative plan is destructive to the people in the home. King David was a polygamist. He had multiple wives and his household was a mess. He had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Subsequently, there were half-brothers and half-sisters and their relationships resulted in incest and murder and an attempted overthrow of David's throne. All that happened in David's family. King Solomon's wives, he was married to 700. Most of them were, were political marriages, but it may well have cost him his faith. We do not know. If Solomon came back to a walk with the Lord, it would seem in the book of Ecclesiastes that maybe, but we don't know. But the idolatry that was brought by all these other wives drew him away from the Lord. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, whose sons become the 12 tribes of Israel, had four wives. <laughs> he was married to Leah and Rachel and their two handmaidens, Bilhah and Zilpah. Leah, let me tell you, this, it was, Leah was able to have children easily, but Jacob didn't love her. Rachel couldn't have children, and she was deeply loved by Jacob. There was a serious jealousy between these two sisters. And so in an effort to get back at each other, they gave their handmaidens to Jacob as wives as well. So you have children, sons from all four of these wives. They don't get along. There is sibling rivalry because they're all from other mothers. They hate their brother Joseph. They sell him into slavery in Egypt. It is a mess. You can call this a blended family if you want to, but it was a zoo. Now, all of that polygamy stuff left pain in its wake. Divorce leaves pain in its wake. Anything that is an alternative plan to God's original plan of marriage leaves pain in its wake. The issues we hope to escape through divorce are often replaced by other issues that we could not see coming. It divides families and it creates as much, if not more, pain for the children than it does for the adults. And so I urge you, I urge you, if there's any way possible, work through the issues that are dividing you and your spouse. Seek help. Let us point you in the right directions to get professional help. I can listen and pray with you, but I'm not the kind of professional help you need. But we can point you and give you direction into that. By the way, we have a great married life ministry that goes on here at Sherwood Oaks. And, and so I want you to go to the website. Go to the married life ministry. See of all the opportunities for you to strengthen your marriage. Before you get married, we, we have couples take this test. It's called Prepare and Enrich. And it gives them an insight into who they are and how their marriage may line up based on their personalities. But even after you've been married, if you're having trouble... You may want to take that test. 
It may help you understand what's going on in the life of your spouse. It might be the very thing that helps save your marriage. If you're interested in that, talk to Elsie, all right? She works in this area with our married couples and our pre-married couples, and she, she knows about this test. Get some information from her because it just might help save your marriage. Now, I also want to correct something that I oftentimes hear about remarriage after divorce when there was no biblical reason. The scriptures are sometimes erroneously quoted as if the person who gets remarried is continually living in sin. This is not the case. It is not a present ongoing tense. It is a punctiliar tense. There is the act of adultery. Such situation, if it was the other, would make marriage the unforgivable sin. If you're constantly living in sin for the rest of your life, you can't be forgiven. And that's not what the Bible says. If you are the responsible party for breaking up your marriage and then you marry another, you've committed adultery according to the scriptures. You need to recognize your sin and genuinely, repentantly take it to the Savior. But it ends there. It ends there. That said, will you please hear me say this? Divorce is heartbreaking, but you can rise above it. I said it last week. I will say it again this week. I'll keep saying it as long as it needs to be said. Being divorced does not make you a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. David's family was a mess, remember? And yet, he remained a man after God's own heart. You may not have wanted the divorce, but you're stuck with it. Or maybe you did want the divorce and you're still reeling from the decision. Here's what I want you to know. Don't stay away from church. You need this family more than ever. Focus on your children and help your children through this process before you begin looking at different relationships down the road. Provide a stable environment for them because they're going to need as much stability as you can give them. I'd also suggest being a part of a divorce support group. Now, we have support groups here that come and go uh, depending on the needs as they rise, but a divorce support group will give you the connection with other people who understand what you're feeling, what you're going through, and can speak into that. There, uh, don't rush into another relationship, okay? Don't make hasty decisions about the future. Take time to heal. You'll need to heal emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. When you've gone through a divorce, a death of a spouse, all of that, it takes time. And dealing with your divorce may not be easy, but don't you dare give up. You are not a failure even if you, your marriage ended up in divorce. You're not a failure. Now, are there safeguards to, to, to help avoid a divorce? Yeah, sure. Two things we talked about last week. First one is simply this. Put the Lord first. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and hopefully your spouse will do the same because if the two of you love him most first, it'll give you a foundation to build on. And here's the second thing. Don't live together before you get married. We talked about that extensively last week, but just remember this. You have just increased the odds 50% greater that your marriage will end up in divorce if you live together before you get married. But here are a few more gleaned from research at Emory University who studied 3,000 married couples in the United States to determine factors that predicted divorce. They discovered some surprising statistics. Here we go. And the Christian couples, I love this. All right, number one, church attendance matters. Couples who said they attend church regularly had a 46% less likely chance of divorce. 46% less likely chance of divorce. 
That's all you need to know to go to church. You don't have to like the sermons. It's just going to save your marriage, all right? So come. Here's something else. Unconditional committed love matters. Men and women who focused on the shallow things like how much wealth do they have or what's their appearance like were 50 to 60% more likely to experience divorce than those who were committed to love despite looks and money. Focusing on the important things matters. Here's a third thing. Focusing on the marriage more than the wedding matters. Surprisingly, couples who spend less than $1,000 on their wedding are 53% less likely to get divorced, while couples who spend over $20,000 on their wedding are 46% more likely to get divorced. It's not about the wedding. It's about the marriage. And when everything is invested in the wedding and nothing in the marriage, it's likely to fall apart. I wish we'd go back to the old days where you got married upstairs, you went downstairs, you had cake, punch, and nuts for the reception. That was it. And if you wanted to have a fancy reception, you had mixed nuts instead of just plain peanuts. We, we, you know, it, it's, it's not about the ceremony. It is about the circumstance of the marriage and getting along together. And here's another thing. Going on a honeymoon matters. Couples who took a honeymoon were 41% less likely to get divorced later. It's about saying, this is important. We're going to spend some time. We're going to build a foundation. And it's never too late to take a honeymoon. It's never too late. Maybe you need a second one or a third one. (laughs) Take them if it helps build your marriage. Now, regardless how somebody ends up single, whether it's through a divorce, whether it's through widowhood, whether you've, you've never been married before. There are some issues that need perspective. Let me give these to you real quickly this morning. First one is being alone. All singles are not alike. Uh, the, the, the singles that I, I know of don't like being herded into a singles group. Oh, they're single. They belong in this group. No. A 35-year-old widow is not going to have the same needs or feelings as a 35-year-old who's never been married. You know, and, and why do we think just because somebody is single, they just, oh, they belong in a singles group over here. We wouldn't put 24-year-old couples with 65-year-old couples and say, oh, you're married. You you just belong in this group. No. Singles are the same way. They have different needs and different effects, everything from that standpoint. And by the way, um, older single men look for novel experiences, skydiving, learning to ski, something like that. Older single women volunteer. When older single women are concerned about troubling world events, they listen to music. They seek out friends and family and engage in spiritual activities like prayer and meditation. When older single men are concerned about troubling world events, they are more likely to drink and be consumed by watching the news on TV. Come on, guys, we got to get a better handle on all of this. By the way, how do you know when a man has lost his intelligence? He's a widower. (laughs) One other important, some of you women are still laughing, and uh, I I gave you a freebie there. Don't overdo it, all right? (laughs) One important indicator, however, points to a general need. If you are single, for whatever reason you are single, there is the need for community, which is so important in the body of Christ. We need to become your family, your community. 
all right? And you have so much to offer to the kingdom of God. Jeremy Earle, one of our uh, guys on staff, does a terrific job with our college age and our uh, young uh, single adults and, and leading in Bible studies and life groups and service projects and short-term mission trips. If you're a young single adult, I would, I would encourage you, hook up with Jeremy, get connected with him and let him connect you with others who are sharing that same life stage. But if you're older than that, just remember, we've, we've got great needs around here that need to be filled. You can help in hospitals a nursing home visitation. You can be a greeter, an usher, a communion server, a caregiver in the nursery, or a worker in our children's and youth departments. And very soon we're going to extend our welcome ministry into the parking lot, which means you will no longer have to go to the mission field to risk your life. Just serve in the parking lot ministry. <laughs> we'll make a difference. Everything I've just mentioned are needs here that we have all the time. So regardless, whether you're married or single, serve. It will help with where you are. And I've only scratched the surface. Um, that doesn't count all the things that are out in the community. From our pumpkin patch to the season of caring and CareFest projects, just do your best to get involved because when you get involved, it, it builds you into this family kind of unit, in this, to the, into this community, and into this sense of belonging. And, and even though you are single, you won't be alone. And in Christ, we're, we're, we're never alone to begin with. Here's the other thing, and that's feeling alone. There's a difference in being alone and feeling alone. You can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. H.G. Wells, the famous author, wrote, I am 65, and I am lonely, and I have never known peace. You can be famous and wealthy and be lonely. Albert Einstein said, it is strange to be so universally known and yet be so lonely. Even Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus understood loneliness. Loneliness grows out of hardship. It grows out of broken relationships. It grows out of opposition. All of those represent some aspect of separation. You realize that? Death separates, divorce separates, rejection separates, relocation separates, a time of war separates. Statistically, 70% of people in convalescent homes never get a visit from anybody. Hurt triggers isolation. Isolation triggers depression. And when you go into a depression over all this, it's like going into a tailspin. Whenever a plane slips into a spin, a, a pilot has only so much time to correct the spin and pull out of the dive. But if the plane picks up too much speed and loses too much altitude, there is no coming out of it. A crash is imminent. Don't isolate yourself from others. If you keep fueling your self-pity for your state in life, it will put you into a tailspin from which you may not recover. And a word to all of us this morning. Be careful what you say to people at different stages in their life, will you please? You know, if you're talking to a single person, don't say something like this. Well, how come you're not married yet? Or the old biological clock is ticking. Or your father and I are so excited and looking forward to being grandparents someday. Don't play the matchmaker unless you're asked to be a matchmaker. And when a friend loses a spouse, make sure that he or she does not lose you in the process. Be thoughtful of the awkwardness of how they feel. They will need your friendship more than ever. Last thing, real quickly. 
And that is, regardless of whatever state you find yourself in, what you need to do is find contentment. And here's three simple ways to find contentment. Rid yourself of worry. If you're single, don't become preoccupied with your circumstances. If you'll never be whole until you find the right person, get rid of those worries. You're whole already. Don't ruin today by being worried about tomorrow. Just live in the moment and live it to its fullest. Uh, Here's the second thing. Don't limit your vision. Don't focus on what you can't be or can't do. Focus on what you can be and can do. Walk by faith through the open doors of opportunity that God provides. The sky's the limit with God. If you'll walk through the doors, God can take you to far horizons that you never dreamed about. But you'll never get there if you limit your focus. And the last thing is do what is right. That's how Paul ends that passage to the Corinthians. That you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're single, don't don't compromise your sexual integrity. If you're married, don't have an affair and destroy your marriage. Be honest, love much, be loyal to Christ and to your family. Work hard at your job as if you're working for God. Stay active in his body, the church. Do what is right and you will find contentment. I'm going to close with perhaps the best statement on contentment ever. It comes from a single man an apostle writing to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4.11 and following. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Single, married, single again. We all find contentment in the same way and the same place. I can do everything through him who gives me strength.